We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. Come on, you made it to church today. I'm so excited. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Nate, and I have the privilege of serving as the executive pastor here at Substance, which simply means I just do a little bit of everything around here. And I, I want to let you know it's, it's truly an honor to serve on behalf of my pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn, and they send their love to you. They are ministering in Calgary up in Canada right now at a church that we oversee. And one of the things that I love is I love that our pastors have a heart for the local church. They have a heart for the local church here, but also around the world. We help plant churches uh, around the world, and this church uh, planted 10 years ago. They're celebrating their anniversary, and God is doing a beautiful work, and they are there ministering. Can we give it up for our pastors right now? Just love them. It's always an honor to, to come and, and to, to share God's word with, with the church, and I, I just believe with expectant hearts we can experience uh, just a, a deposit of God's goodness, his grace, and his mercy that takes place through God's people, amen? Uh, before we jump into the, the Bible text today, I actually wanted to share a crazy story that I recently heard. I, I don't know if you've ever been to southern Florida, kind of in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. They, at times during the winter, will experience uh, what they consider to be a really uh, difficult winter, a cold spell. It'll drop well below 40 degrees. And so we like to call that a perfect spring day. For, for me, that's my perfect running weather. But in southern Florida, they are breaking out their parkas, their winter hats, their gloves, and the kids are all praying for snow day. And so a uh, little different experience down there. But anytime it drops below 45 degrees, check this out. They have to put these warnings out all over the news and all over the place, falling iguanas this morning. Something you will never see in Minnesota. And so uh, they have to put these warnings out. Officials have to let people know. Uh, what, it just so happens that there's these, uh, these uh, lizards that are from Central America that have been uh, taken to Florida and they've overpopulated. And uh, in fact, I was in Fort Lauderdale last winter. I went on a three-mile run and I counted 152 of these iguanas up in the trees. They love hanging out in the trees and all the different vegetation in southern Florida. And listen, we are not talking baby geckos here. I'm not talking about those lizards your kids chase around at Disney World. These are massive. These things can grow up to five feet long. They could weigh up to 20 pounds. They're the size of a toddler. They're just these massive lizards. And, uh, and so get this, anytime it gets cold, they uh, have to put these warnings out because uh, these lizards are cold-blooded and they actually will freeze up. They actually literally freeze. They go dormant and they have to let people know, hey, these things are going to be falling from the trees. Just imagine this. We have a lot of winter here. We have snow. They have raining geckos and raining lizards anytime it gets cold. It's just crazy. And so uh, just get that in your mind right now. Just a massive iguana falling on your head. And so they have to let people know anytime these things fall, they're still alive. Don't touch them. These things can bite you. They actually carry different diseases like salmonella. These things will go berserk on you. Leave them alone. And so uh, recently I heard a story, this was in NPR News, about a guy who actually found dozens of these uh, in a park and they were frozen. He thought they were dead. This dude thought 
dude, this makes a great dinner. I'm going to have iguana tacos tonight. We're, get, we're taking these home. Let's smoke them on the Traeger, maybe some iguana pot roast, something like that. I don't know, but some people love to eat these things. And so he picks up a couple dozen of these. He throws them in the back of his minivan. He's driving down the interstate with the heat on in his car. These lizards begin to warm up. They become so agitated. They all start freaking out in the back of his car. They literally start thrashing around and running around his car. This is like a scene from a horror movie. Could you imagine driving next to the guy on the interstate while this is happening? I mean, these things went full on Jurassic Park on the dude. Just a crazy scene. I, I, I promise you that guy never made that mistake again. And so I'm here today to let you know, uh, Substance, we're so generous here. Every single kid in kids' ministry will be getting a baby iguana this morning. And so good luck, parents. Now, in a similar way, I do, do think this, though. I think a lot of times we treat God in a similar manner. We, we pray for things in our life, and it, it seems like God is not answering, that somehow God is he's not showing up, and we falsely assume that the dreams of our life are dead. We we assume that God somehow doesn't care, that he somehow gave up on us, and then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, God shows up, and he's like, oh, you thought because I wasn't moving fast, you thought that somehow I'm no longer alive, that somehow I don't care about you, that I gave up on the dreams and plans that I have for your life? Listen, church, I'm here to encourage you today. God is faithful. He just doesn't work the way you think he should work. You see, church, I, I want to encourage you with something. I, I want to encourage you, don't ever interpret your delays as denials from God. Don't ever assume that your desert is evidence of God's desires for you. Your delays and deserts, they're never equal to a denial from your heavenly Father. Church, I, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you not to get stuck making bad decisions in your life because things are maybe moving slower than you want them to. And, and perhaps today you're listening to this message and, and for you, you're just going through a very difficult season of life. I, I just know there are a lot of people, they feel up against bad situations. Maybe for you, you lost your job or you feel stuck in the vocation that you're in. For you, maybe it's a bad situation and there's fear of what the consequences may be. Maybe for you, there feels like there's just no hope for your marriage or for your physical body and all seems lost. We, regardless of what you're going through, my goal today is this. I, I, I wanna help us as, as God's people, us that have gathered together to listen to this message, to maybe think a little bit differently about how God works. And so to do this, we're gonna actually study a short passage that takes place in 1 Samuel 23. In the, in the context of this scripture, we are, we're going to be studying the life of David today. And we all know that David was this kid that, that ended up killing Goliath and, and responding in faith to God. And, and actually, after the, uh, in this, the life of David, he actually was anointed by Samuel to become the next king of God's people in the process. And David had been promised by God that he would rule over God's people. And, and, and David was a mighty warrior. David was a, just a, a powerful man of God that operated in faith that God would do and can do the impossible. But here in, in this context today, in this scripture, we, we pick up that, that David, unfortunately, in this season of his life is actually being hunted by the current king, King Saul. King Saul here, we see, is a wicked king. He actually uh, is being, Scripture says he was tormented by spirits and was a wicked man and was very jealous of David. And, 
And we see that David is now stuck out in a desert, hiding out in random caves for his life. And we see that David starts to wonder, is any of the stuff that God has promised for my life even going to happen? Are any of the dreams that God's given me, any of the desires that the Lord's given me, are they even going to come true? And we, we find David, he is completely depressed, he's, he's completely lost in this moment, living out in the desert, wondering if he's gonna get killed by this crazy king. And so let's pick up in the Bible text here. Where we see in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 18, let's go to the scripture together. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. He says this, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remains in Horesh. We see in the, the, the text here in the scripture, in the midst of, of David's deep depression, in the midst of being Hunted by an evil king, God all of a sudden shows up, and God loves this. He loves to use God's people to show up in our life, and God sends a guy named Jonathan, as Scripture tells us, is the, the son of the evil king. How ironic is that? He sends Jonathan out, and I just love this. I love what it says here. We see in verse 16, let's check this out one more time. And Saul sons Jonathan went to David at Horesh, and what? He helped him find strength in God. How powerful is that? How, how simple and how, yet how powerful is it that Jonathan shows up at just the right moment and helps David find strength in God again? And I, in church, I, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you today. I want us to think about this. There are gonna be times in our life where we're gonna feel like we're in both situations. We're gonna feel in some years that, we're, that, we're, that our life may reflect David, that we're going through the desert season of our life, we're gonna feel stuck in situations where it feels like there's no hope. And then I actually think there's gonna be years and seasons of our life where things actually may be going great and it may feel like all the things are working out for us, things are going well for us. We'll be like Jonathan in this story, yet God is actually calling us to more. He is calling us to actually go find the Davids, to find those people that just need someone to help them, to, to, have, to be someone that actually says, I believe in you. I believe in the promises that God has for your life. And, and be there in the lowest moments to encourage them that, that the promises that God has, that the, the dreams that God has for their life, the victories that have been promised will come to pass. Do we believe that as a church? We, 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 we see here in scripture and we look at the life of David, we see that David actually went on, as we know, we kind of in the future now, we know that David went on to become actually probably one of the most important kings in all of the Old Testament to God's people. In fact, David was known as a man after God's own heart. He was a person who pursued God, who, who lived a repentant life, yet in the moment of desolation, in the moment of isolation, in the desert season of his life, David for sure thought all hope was life, lost in this moment. We see that David was discouraged. David was defeated. Yet right in that moment when Saul was coming to take him out, God shows up at just the right moment and used Jonathan to what? Help David find his strength 
in God again. That you will be King David. I will be second to you. You will accomplish and fulfill the very things that God has promised you. And, and today, church, before we go any deeper, I, I want to ask you a simple question. Which of the two characters that we see here are you today? Are you a David in the desert season of your life, feeling lost and it seems like there's just no hope for you? Maybe it's your physical body, maybe for you it's your marriage, maybe for you it's a, a, a situation that you feel like no one else could understand and you just can't bring yourself to ever bring anybody else into it. Or maybe for you, you're a Jonathan, so to speak, and God is actually calling you into something more today. God is calling you to step up and, and be there for someone else. Because here's the truth, church. If, if we don't actually know who we are and we're not responding accordingly, I actually believe that we will miss God. I, I believe we'll miss his purpose. I believe we'll miss his plan that he has for us. It, uh, recently, I heard a story about uh, a pool party that took place back in the 1980s. Uh, there was uh, the city of New Orleans uh, recreation department oversaw all of the, the, the public pools all throughout the communities in the area. And they ended the summer by celebrating the fact that that summer in, in, in the mid-1980s, they had actually had zero drownings take place in all of their pools. So it was a massive celebration. And, and so what they did is they gathered all the, the, the lifeguards together. There was over 100 lifeguards that, that worked in the community there. And to be extra safe, they, uh, they're going to throw this massive pool party. So they brought in some other trained lifeguards to watch over this, this massive pool party. And as these 100 lifeguards are celebrating and the party begins to, to wind down, all of a sudden they realize the worst thing had happened. They ended up finding the body of a person at the bottom of the pool that had drowned during the pool party. It's a tragic story. And I, I, as I reflected on that story and I thought about today, I, I, and I remember when I first heard that, I, I thought, how sad and ironic is it that a person could be surrounded by 100 lifeguards yet still drown? How could a person be surrounded by 100 people who are professionally trained at identifying distress yet miss the one person who needed them most? And, and, and truthfully, I, I share that story today because I, I just know that there are people listening online that are that are in our services today and they just feel like they're on the verge of drowning in their life. There are people that just feel completely lost in the desert seasons of their life. They feel completely hopeless and they feel like they'll never get beyond what they're currently dealing with. To be honest, I, 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 as I think about this, and I think a part of the problem is we, we just are concerned that their situations are just too much for us. But the truth is they don't need people to show up and carry all of their burdens. What they do need, though, is people to show up and help them find strength in God again. I, I think as we look at the scripture in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan didn't have to fundamentally change his life. It wasn't as if Jonathan purchased a cave next to David out in some random desert. The scripture actually tells us that David, David stayed there and Jonathan went back home. We see in scripture that Jonathan just shows up and what? He points to God and helps David find his strength again. And I actually think in a lot of ways we get overwhelmed by the idea of people's situations. But listen, we don't actually need to be the one solving all of their problems. We simply need to point them to the one who can solve all their problems. Amen? 
We just need to give them God's solution. At the end of the day, God is the answer. Church, I want to help us today as we move into the busyness of fall, as we move into the circumstances of, of rhythm and change, as, as we move past all that's happened in the, the world the last few years, and we move into what could be the new future, I, I want to ask you a question. What is your role when it comes to other people? Honestly, I believe today that our role is simply to call out the destiny that God has already placed upon people's life and point them to the one who can overcome any circumstances, amen? You see, David, in this moment, he just needed an encourager to show up and remind him, you will be king. And I actually think what many people in life need are friends who would just show up to remind them of the promise that God has made in their life, proclaiming that you will be healed, that your current situations in your job, in your, in your marriage, in your, in, in your physical body, that they are not permanent, that God does have a plan for those things, and he is working it together for his good. I, I think back on my own story as I reflect on this, and I, I think about when I first came to Substance uh, over 14 years ago, I got invited to this church on a Sunday, and that person just offered me free lunch, and so I came because I want free food as much as I can get it. And so I remember showing up at Substance at Fridley High School uh, a long time ago, and I, honestly, I was in a pretty dark place in that season of my life. I, I was a Christian, but to be truthful, I was just so cynical about churches. I, I, I had experienced hurt by Christians and by church people, and I just felt completely burned out and incompatible with this whole church thing. And when I first came, I was literally critiquing everything the church did. I remember the parking lot, the greeters, the ushers, the, the worship, the campus pastor. I mean, nothing got by me. I critiqued it all. I, I think God has a funny sense of humor since now I am now responsible for all the things I used to critique. Uh, <laughs> God does work that way. But honestly, it wasn't substance. I, I would have critiqued any church. The, the issue was actually me. The issue was inside of me. I, uh, for me, I, in that season, I actually did know enough that I was supposed to go to church and do church things. I was supposed to check Sunday off my list. You see, for me, I hadn't quit on the outside because I could actually pretend church better than most people. I grew up in the church. I knew how to, when to stand up, when to sit down, when to say amen, and leave never changed, never transformed. I heard a thousand messages on transformation, but never took one step into transformation. To be honest, I, I, I had it together on the outside, but the inside, it was completely empty. And the inside, I was completely cynical. And truth be told, cynical Christians do this all the time. They go through the motions of church, but they're, they're always keeping a distance. They may seem connected, but the truth is they're totally unaffected by God's people. The, the, I see this all the time in cynical Christians. They want ownership without authentic fellowship. But you see, church, transformation and healing, it just doesn't work that way. For, for me in that season of my life, I, I loved giving the church all of my opinions, but I was actually too busy to actually do anything for the church. I was fine critiquing, but... It was too uncomfortable to coach and help. I, I love spotting the problems that existed in the church, but, but honestly, I was never gonna own any of them. I, I, I love the idea of outreach in small groups, but I, it was actually too inconvenient for me to ever show up and do anything about it. 
You, you see, cynical Christianity, it's kind of a dangerous place to live your life. The, the, the problem with it is you actually believe in the illusion of safety. You can be surrounded by Christian things, yet you don't let it affect you. You're like the drowning person in the pool surrounded by lifeguards. There may be life preservers all around you, yet you just feel completely incapable of ever reaching out. And to think about that, it happens to all of us in desert seasons of our life, if we're really honest. It, we may actually not quit on the outside. We may go through the motions of looking like we got it all together, yet we've quit on the inside. And, and truthfully, that was me. And the, when I first started coming here, honestly, I was a pretty isolated, lonely person. I was in a desert season of my life. And, and I'll never forget on one Sunday, Pastor Peter, he just preached this powerful sermon. He taught what he called the 15-minute rule. I remember this sermon so specifically. I, I remember it because during that message, he taught what he called the power of proximity. He said, I, I want to encourage you, church. I, I want to encourage you, just take... Take 15 minutes, come to church 15 minutes early, stay 15 minutes late, put yourself in proximity to God's people and see what happens. I, I remember he ended that sermon on that Sunday and he said, in fact, I challenge you to do this. And I was like, whoa, he challenged me. Uh, I just remember re like listening to that. He said, I promise if you do this, it will change your life. And, and to be honest, this was kind of the last thing I wanted to do when it came to church. You see, I was that Christian who showed up about 15 minutes late to church and left about 15 minutes early. I was one of those who walked in during the, the first worship song, and the second they started playing that last worship song and started taking up the offering, I got my coat and I walked out the back door. I, I was that Christian. And I, I remember that Sunday, Pastor Peter made that challenge, and and honest, to be honest, it was the last thing I wanted to do, but because he had challenged me, and because I actually felt so lonely and lost, I felt like nothing else was working in my life, I actually decided to go for it that Sunday. I remember telling my wife, hey, get ready, we're staying late on this Sunday. <laughs> I remember she had to prep her, and so uh, we, we stayed late, and get this, because I made that decision, it actually completely changed my life. I remember that Sunday, someone invited me to attend their small group, and I said yes. I, I, I'm still friends with that person today. He attends church 14 years later. It was my first small group leader. He's probably sitting right over here, and uh, just always crazy how God puts people in our life at the right moment. And, and to this day, I, I can think back on, on, on those decisions to just put myself in proximity to God's people, and I've experienced massive amounts of healing and victory in my life because of God's people. I think about this church community and God's people, and I, I actually think that God literally used church community to be a Jonathan in my life to restore my strength. And so I'm here today, church, I'm just so humbled to say this. I want to do the same thing that Pastor Peter did. I, I want to challenge you into the 15-minute rule. Just come to church 15 minutes early. Just stay 15 minutes late on a Sunday. I personally invite you to take a step. I, I personally invite you to get connected. I, I promise you if you do this, I promise within a short period of time, God won't only provide you a connection in your life that I think could bring some true healing and victory for you. I actually believe that for many of you, you will become true Jonathans for other people saying, don't be afraid. God will fulfill his promises. Because here's what I believe. That agreement together with other people 
it's actually gonna lead them to their healing and to their victory. You see, church, I wanna encourage you with this today. God's calling on your life, it is too big and too great just to stay in spectator mode, just hiding out in some desert, thinking that the purposes and plans that God has for you were never gonna come to pass. Life's too short. You see, I, I, here's what I've learned. Many, many of us live in the guilt of, of the desert seasons of our lives. And what we do wrong is we overestimate the power of delays in our life and we underestimate the power of God in simple acts of surrender. And so maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, yeah, cool man, but Nate, the type of problems I have, you don't get it. Those things are not gonna be solved by going to a small group and, and getting involved in the church or hanging out in the lobby. Those things are not gonna be the solution for me, to which I wanna tell you, you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> Honestly, every single week, I see miracles take place in this church because of people who, who, who made a decision to serve, because of people who got in proximity to other people in a small group, because of our freedom groups, because of our alpha course, because of divorce care, because of a growth track, because people spent time in proximity to God's people. Listen, this church is filled with people who have defied the odds by the power of God. And so listen, the only question that we need to be asking today is what are we doing to get around those faith-filled people? Your true friends that will actually be there with you through the joys of life and through the lowest moments of life. You see, church, I have gone through some very difficult things without God's people. And it's a very dark, lonely place. And I've gone through extremely difficult things, the loss of family members, the loss of my mom, so tragic. Yet God's people showed up, and because of proximity to God's people, I experienced victory and wholeness. Once again, if you can get this in your life, if, if you can actually get to this point, the truth is, once you discover this, you're never gonna wanna go back to cynical spectator Christianity. <laughs> Honestly, the... I was reminded in this moment of a story. Uh, my dad was a Vietnam vet. He, he served in the Vietnam War. In fact, gave his life to Jesus while serving in the war and uh, ended up coming home, going to, to, to Bible college and becoming a pastor. I'm a third generation pastor. I tried to get out of it. They suckered me back into it. And so uh, and ended up uh, going into ministry when he came home from the war. And I, I heard this story recently about a guy back in the Vietnam War who happened to be on the front lines of the war, his name was Jim Stagels. At, at 19 years old, he lived through one of the worst and most horrific war experiences anyone had experienced. He happened to be in the, in, the, in the place where they were experiencing death every single day. Every day he would experience the death of a close friend and his buddies were being killed and he just lived in terror. He lived a living nightmare every single day wondering if he was gonna die. It just so happens when uh, Jim went into the war, someone gave him a small Gideon New Testament Bible, and I don't know if you've seen these little green New, New Testament Bibles, and he kept it in his uh, shirt pocket, and he kind of treated it like a lucky charm. He never really read it or anything. He never could find himself to do that, but he actually held on to it, and it just, things for him just kept getting worse and worse. He went through his 20th birthday and his 21st birthday and kept experiencing more death and more destruction. Jim finally got to a point in his life where he couldn't keep living like this. He, 
He got to a point in February 1968, he literally prayed to God. He said, God, I want it all to end. If it's my life or whatever, please end it all. And for sure that day he felt like he would be dead by nightfall. And sure enough, his base came under attack again that night. Suddenly during the attack, Jim heard a rocket coming straight towards him. It was like slow motion, three seconds to live, two seconds to live, and suddenly a friend runs up and violently shoves Jim into a grease pit, and then nothing happened, no explosion. The, the rocket had ripped into where he was at, but he thought maybe it was a fuse malfunction. He thought at any second this rocket was gonna explode and, and ruin his life. In fact, Jim laid there trembling and shaking in the grease pit. He laid there for over five hours just waiting for his life to end, waiting for the rocket to explode. After five hours of fear, he reached into this little, his pocket and he took out that little New Testament Bible and he began to read the first 18 chapters of the book of Matthew. And he read into verse 19. And he read this, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together, I am there among them. Suddenly in that exact moment, Jim became overwhelmed with the presence of God and he immediately knew in that moment he was gonna be okay. So after all this had ended, Jim ended up getting sent home from the war. Jim returned home and was with a friend and a friend began to tell him about a night that she awoke in terror. She awoke in the middle of the night and just knew in that moment that Jim was in trouble. She instantly began praying that God would spare Jim's life and as she was praying, she began to read her Bible and she opened right to Matthew 18, 19. Immediately in that moment, she called her small group leader who got out of bed and came over and the two of them prayed together that God would spare Jim's life. In fact, for five hours, they laid on their face before God, praying for Jim until they felt the peace of the Holy Spirit and were reassured that God was taking care of things. So as Jim listened to this story, he became so overwhelmed with emotions. And after he gathered himself, he finally said, do you remember what day that was? And she said, yes, I, I totally do. I actually wrote it down in my Bible. And right next, there, next to Matthew 18, 19 were the words, Jim, February 26th. 1968, it was the exact moment that Jim was in that grease pit. Come on, church. We all need friends who would storm the throne of grace for us. We need people in our life who are gonna get real with us and help us find our strength in God again. We need people who would go out of their way and walk us through fear and uncertainty and the delays that this life brings. We all need small group leaders who would wake up in the middle of the night just to pray us through to peace. But let's be honest, these type of relationships, they don't just happen and they don't just come out of nowhere. We have to take small steps of faith. Just like I mentioned earlier with that 15 minute rule, we just need to be intentional. So, so today, church, I want to encourage you I want to encourage you to be the, the friend that's praying, the one who would have faith like Jonathan, holy faith to believe beyond your current circumstances that God will do what he said he would do in your life, to see others and be a part of seeing them through to their healing, to their wholeness. Maybe for you, I, I want to challenge you this week, would you grab your isolated friend and just invite him to your small group with you? 
In the coming days, would you intentionally plan to serve with someone who needs it and they feel so lost and alone? If you showed up, it would make a difference. Would you go out of your way? Would you go beyond yourself for someone else? And maybe you're here today and you feel way more like a David than you do a Jonathan. I understand that. But here's what I believe and here's what I've discovered. Even if you are a David and you're in the desert season of your life, you're in a difficult situation, uh, there are always people who are way worse off than you. And listen, no matter what you feel up against, I actually believe that you can operate in the spirit of Jonathan and be there for someone else. Actually, I believe today that your victory and your healing may actually come by showing up for some other person. So if you feel, you feel disconnected and maybe you were connected at a time of your life, I actually believe this, church. Today is your day. You see, every, every two to three years, we have to make the decision to reinvest. In fact, I think one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is try to steal the purpose and direction of marriages and of people's life through the last few years. I believe he's tried to cause us to get disengaged and disconnected from the very source that brings hope. And so if you're disengaged, you're disconnected, I wanna encourage you, go to a small group. Get connected today. Get on a ministry team. This is, this is what I've discovered over the last several years of my life. You need ministry way more than we need you in ministry. You need it. You need people that are there for you. Once again, I've learned that some of the most important healings and victories in our life will take place based on the relationships we discover with God's people. As one last story, as I wrap up today, I, I was thinking about a time a, a person was actually thrust into a desert season they didn't expect in their life and they felt like all hope was lost. Uh, I think the media team's gonna put a picture up here. Uh, I'm actually uh, an identical twin. Uh, that's a picture of me. I'm the cute one in that picture. And so we are 40 minutes apart. We've shared everything our whole life and, uh, and I love him. He's a man of God. And, uh, but we grew up in the 1980s in a large Italian family. Uh, in the city that we grew up in, there was a kidnapping that took place. It made national headline news. I remember being in school and the school having to talk to us about stranger danger. Anybody remember that? Stranger danger was a big deal. I remember a car drove down our street and I hid behind my parents' cars, scared I was gonna get kidnapped all the time. And uh, I just remember this fear took place in our society. And I remember they ended up finding the body of this kid. He had, he had been killed. Months later, made the news, it was a big deal, but after several months, it kind of faded out of the headlines, and uh, it just so happened that that mall that this happened in was just a couple miles, and it was the mall that we shopped in all the time. And it, and it was a Saturday, and my whole family went to the mall on, on that Saturday. I remember the mall being busy. It was uh, a trade show happening in the mall, and there's all these booths set up, and my parents and I were all walking with the all, there's five kids in our family at that time. And I remember staying super close to my parents and uh, they're keeping an eye on us. But as we made our way through the busyness and the crowd, my mom turned around and all of a sudden my, my twin brother had wandered away and they couldn't find him anywhere. And I, I noticed in that moment, my, my parents became very panicked and worried. I, I think in that moment they had a memory of the recent tragedy. And I, I remember my mom just beginning to weep and cry. She, she began to run in one direction, my dad ran in another direction, and I remember my mom, she ran up to a, a booth, and there was the firefighters working at the booth, and, 
And she said, hey, my son's wandered away. Help me find my son. And I remember the, the, the man said, ma'am, that's not my responsibility. Remember my mom in this moment, she was so panicked and so desperate for someone to see that she has lost her son. And she ran up to this mall worker and this, this mall worker was like your classic mall worker, 20 something year old guy with blonde, long hair in the 80s. You can imagine this. And so she ran up to him and she's like, hey, help me find my lost son. Uh, he looks just like this one. She didn't need a picture. She just had me. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, looks like me. And so it ended up inviting him into that mission and saying, help me find him. She was so worried. She was so concerned. And I just remember this this guy stopped and he encouraged my mom in that minute, in that moment and said, I'm gonna help you find your lost son. And he began to look with the same passion and urgency that my mom was looking for him. And I just remember being with my mom and we're running to try to find my brother. And this guy begins to run across the food court of the mall. And, 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 and what we didn't know that he knew is he saw these two people in construction outfits literally kidnapping my twin brother, taking him out of the mall. This worker runs up to my twin brother and rips him out of their arms, rescues him and brings him back to my parents. And I think about that moment, it was the passionate, all in, who cares what other people think, faith in action that saved the life. It was a guy that, that operated in the spirit of Jonathan at just the right moment. Listen church, I believe the enemy has been trying to kidnap your health, your value, your hope, your purpose and your destiny. In fact, over the last few years, I think the enemy has done all he can to kidnap the value and direction that God has placed upon you. And I'm here today to proclaim and declare that you can find your strength in God again. There is redemption for you. There is hope for you. You are not alone. In fact, this is what I believe about today. Today, it's your day. It's your day. And I just know there are a few groups of people listening to this message right now. There are those of you, you just need to experience victory in an area of your life. And you feel alone. I'm here to tell you, you're not. We're here for you. There are those of you that you just feel convicted right now and you need to practice the 15-minute rule today. And you need to put yourself in proximity to God's people and see what happens. And for some of you today, it's time just to surrender your life to Christ. It's time. You've been living on your own. You may seem like you have it together on the outside, but on the inside, you're so dead. There's hope for you today. And for, for many of you today, I believe that God is calling you to lead other people over to their victory. So with every head bowed as our campus pastors make their way on stage, I want to pray over you but I actually believe today is an action step Sunday. I believe today is the day of your breakthrough. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just pray for your peace that surpasses all understanding to spread right now over your people. I thank you, God, for people who are making a decision to come back to you. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would penetrate hearts and that, Lord, you would draw us unto yourself. I thank you, God, for the power and redemption that comes through your people. 
And I thank you, God, that you are rescuing people right now from suicidal ideation. You are rescuing people from self-harm. You are rescuing people from addiction and shame. And you're bringing them together into your church so that we can live out the plans and purposes that you have destined for us. And so we celebrate all that you do when God's people come together. I thank you, God, that you're alive and at work and you're working on our dreams right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's give it up for all that God is doing today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.